Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. This is episode 52 of Two Girls Talking. Welcome back. We've taken a little break during the pandemic, but hopefully we'll be back more on a regular schedule. I'm Katie Kiley from 97.1 The River in Atlanta. I do Afternoon Drive, and I do this podcast with Melissa Ruggieri, my good friend and music critic for the AJC. She does the music scene blog at AJC.com, and we are Two Girls Talking this week with someone we're big, huge fans of, which you'll hear us saying that, Liberty. DeVito, the longtime drummer for Billy Joel's band, and he has a new book out this past summer called Liberty, Life, Billy, and the Pursuit of Happiness, so we were very excited to be able to take some time and talk to him about it. It's Katie and Melissa with the amazing Liberty DeVito. And Liberty, I hope you'll give us just a second here as we have things that we normally do on a weekly basis. Plus, it'll be fun to see if you can pipe up about this when we do a rock riddle. And we'll give you the answer next week, unless you or Melissa know this now. But I share my names with a tall, cool woman and a short twin. Of all my favorite meals, I prefer Italian. I'll read it again. I share my names with a tall, cool woman and a short twin. Of all my favorite meals, I prefer Italian. It's too easy. It's too easy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. First, my first thought was like I was going to, with the Hollies. What does it got to do with the Hollies? Tall, cool woman. Yes. Uh, (laughs) But then the short twin. (laughs) Well, you know, I was fortunate enough that my uncle had the same name as me, and he used to get beat up because the the woman in the harbor, the statue of the harbor is a woman. (laughs) (laughs) When I read that in your book, I couldn't believe anybody would mess with your uncle. I was like, wow. Yeah, it was insane. It's short for liber. How, how do you pronounce libera? Liberatory. Yeah. Liberatory. Liberatory. Yeah. What a great name! And Melissa's Italian too, so you guys are going to have a good laugh with each other about certain things here. But I have to preface Liberty. You probably don't remember this, but many years ago, around nine. 19- at 1999, 2000, you were here with big people, and yes. Jeff Carlisi is a really good friend of mine. And so he invited me. I was a DJ at the time at another radio station, and a friend of mine to come and watch you guys rehearse because Derek St. Holmes is also a friend. And we went to dinner at the Longhorn, and that's when Ben met Julie, I believe. And then Dave, my friend Dave, and I took you and Ben out to Buckhead, and we went around drinking. <laughs> We went to a martini bar and we're just like I was talking to Dave last night and Dave goes, he'll probably remember that. But he goes, but we were all so shit faced. He said, well, well, that's probably why I don't remember it. (laughs) Well, you were as lovely as could be. And Melissa, you've been a fan of Billy Joel and Liberties for how long? 
Oh, my God. Since, you know, I grew up listening to you guys because I, I have a sister who's 10 years older. So, you know, when I was seven, eight years old, she was a teenager. And all she would do was, you know, play 52nd Street and Turnstiles and Nylon Curtain. And that's all I heard all the time. And then I started playing the drums when I was 12. So you were one of the people that I would always listen to to try to emulate because you're such an amazing drummer. And, you know, I mean, being and seeing you in concert so many times over the years with Billy, I, I you know, I've probably seen him close to 60 times at this point, And probably 45 of them were with you. <laughs> She's not getting either. I'm not. Oh, wow. <laughs> really not. That, that's, pretty amazing. that's pretty amazing. You play drums now? I do. I, well, I live in an apartment now, so they're actually at my mom's <laughs> house. But when I go back to visit, I, I set them back up a couple of years ago, and it's still one of the most fun things to do. You want to hear something funny? I live in an apartment in, in Brooklyn, New York, and um, my drums are in my mother-in-law's basement. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter how old you are, right? Somehow the drums no. always wind up it with a family It comes full member. circle, doesn't it? That's so... <laughs> Oh, funny it's to really, me. It's really funny that that happens all the time. <laughs> it really, really is. But I loved reading in the book, too, just when you would talk about specific drum parts and songs and things that I always wondered about personally. And, you know, it gave me a little more insight. So when I go visit over the holidays, I'm going to have to, you know, play some of them now, knowing a little bit more yeah. about them. But I've had a lot of people, uh, you know, t- tell me that they actually went through song by song as they were reading the, and listened to the song as they were reading that part of the book. And they were amazed to hear these new things that they never heard before. Well, that's, you know, honestly, so. that was that was my favorite part of the book because having heard those songs hundreds and hundreds of times, to hear your insight and and a lot of times your influence on them, and then exactly like you know maybe where some lyrical thing came from, you do sort of approach it in a different way now when when you hear them. Because I've been listening to the Billy Joel channel on on Sirius. Right. There's just so many deep cuts that they play on on that too that it's like oh yeah, <laughs> now I know from Liberty. There you go. See that? I'm surprised at how well the book is done. I mean, you know, when I first uh, got the deal with Hudson Music to do the publishing, I said to my wife, well, I don't know why people are going to want to read this, and she said, well, if you if you sell one book. Your children have a history of your life and your parents and, and your grandparents coming over from Italy. That's so, right. You know, but it's done better than I thought it would do. <laughs> Tell us about how long it took for you to write it, because when I got to the end, I was kind of like, wait a second. And then, of course, then you have the epilogue mm-hmm. and then you have even more after that. So tell us about <laughs> writing it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I started a long time ago to write a family history for my kids. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have my father and mother lived to my father lived till he was 91 my mother lived till she was 89 years old so i had them interviewed on cassette tape uh. you know uh, about what it was like growing up and where their parents came from the actual cities they came from and everything like that in italy but then when uh, me and billy kind of had a I'll call it a falling out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to call it a, a musical differences. You know, because <laughs> that was not it. it. <laughs> the euphemism that's doesn't really, really work. <laughs> so you know, after that, then I started to write stuff about me and Billy. But, um, you know, a lot of people, when they write these uh, music bios, they put a lot of dirt in there. You know, I, I don't necessarily want to know about somebody's sex life on the road. I really don't care about that, you know, whatever Gene Simmons did on the road. I don't care. I want to know about how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So what I did was I stood in Billy's shoes and looked at why did Billy Joel do the things he did to certain people like myself. I mean, the man has had a career. I was with him for 30 years, and his career is still going on. He's playing the garden. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. the virus has definitely put a quell on that, but... He has to change. Like every album, there's a different sound to it. 
you know, you keep changing to stay current. Yeah. He had to do that. And sometimes it meant replacing people, you know, to get right. a fresh sound. So that's the approach that I actually took to the book. Why did it happen? You know, the falling out. Did you have anybody help you with this? Or are these just all from your own recollections and notes and things that you just sorted through over the years? Well, the, the parts that I got helped with was putting it together, it, you know, into one cohesive book. The publishers do that. The chapter of my drums that keeps coming up. Yes, I like chapter, that. Yeah. That was the longest chapter in the book. And they suggested, why don't you split it up so after every chapter? But that was cool. And then uh, the chapter about my <laughs> my second ex-wife, <laughs> that, <laughs> that I wrote right after I got divorced. And my, <laughs> you know, I'm married now, and my wife now read that before I, I sent it into the uh, publisher. And she said, uh, oh, no, you're not this person anymore. You can't. you got to rewrite this. <laughs> I mean, it was really bad. It was bad. Oh, my goodness. That's what kind of astounds me is that you went through such a a time, you know, and I think that that's a lot of what makes artists great, you know, is that your life isn't just all hunky dory. But with you, it it just seemed almost the antithesis of who you seem to be to all of us, I think, even when I met you in 1999. If you had disappointed me, I would have been so bummed because I love (laughs) you and you were such a wonderful, nice person. We talked about everything under the sun. You were just awesome. Awesome. So to know that you had such a dark period and you were actually even suicidal made my heart. I just couldn't believe it that you shared yeah, that well, with us. Well, you know, it's, it's really uh, funny because when you meet people, you, you don't want to. I have a friend, Rob Arthur, who, who also plays with me and Jeff sometimes when we do this, this benefit. Rob Arthur plays for years with Peter Frampton. He uh, was asked a question once. We were, we were all doing these interviews and hanging around and stuff. And this guy came up to me and said, you know, I'm thinking about getting into the music business. What do you think of it? And he turned to the guy and he goes, it's dark. It's ugly. All they do is take somebody. They form them into what they want to be. And then they, they just dump them in the end. Oh. And he stood there and we all looked at him and he went, Oh my God! Why did I say it? You know, <laughs> so he realized like there's an ugly side, but that's not what the guy wanted to hear. You know, of course not. <laughs> it's the reality, a lot of times too. Well, you know what? The reality. The first time when I came face to face and and we talked about the reality was when I did that documentary, Hired Gun. Yes, mm-hmm. that. That is reality of what it's like to play in a band and be a side guy. You know, everybody thinks, well, you're playing with Billy Joel. You must be a multimillionaire. Or you're playing with Pink. You must be rich, you know. And uh, right. No, <laughs> you're a hired hand. That's what you are, you know. And, you know, I love the fact when, when those guys were saying, like, you go, they go to the ATM machine and it's like, um, you know, you don't have anything left. You better get a job, you know. Oh, my gosh. That's, well, it's so true. And, the then, and, then you, and you talk about just, you know, you would, you would get your studio fee and then the minuscule amount that you would get per album, and then that kept getting shaved down lower and lower. And, you know, even if you add up the number of albums, the, the millions of albums that Billy has sold – not exactly millionaire status <laughs> no and you know you know it's it's funny because most artists think about what they want to give to people and in the beginning it's always they want to give them a fair share of everything you know but then when lawyers and accountants come into the scene they're not in the studio with us they're not in yeah. rent the cars in the beginning they don't drive the bus with us their job is to save money for billy so when Billy gives them the right to go, okay, you negotiate with these, these musicians, they'll want to bury you rather mm-hmm. than give you, you know, extra money. So, 
there's such a disconnect between the music and the music business. Yep. That, yeah. That it's really unbelievable, you know. But, um, you know, you have a passion for it, and you'll love it. I mean, the book I set out to write a book about how I did it. I didn't do it like American Idol. I didn't go on a show, and <laughs> people judged me, and, and then I was the winner, and I got a contract to play with somebody. No, 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 no. I paid my dues. And it says in that book how I paid my dues and the roads that I took and that some of those roads were very, very dark, but I was enough to get off them. And some people didn't get off those roads and either ended their careers or their lives, you know, like my buddy Doug Stagmeyer, who was oh, the bass player in the band. Yeah. Heartbreaking to read that chapter. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and good for you for shedding some light on that and, and being such a loving person. I mean, that was really intense to read. I also loved that you had the DeVito School for Music Business at the end. <laughs> Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you really share, you really can tell that you care about people and people that love music especially, and you want to give them a hand up. I do. Uh, you know, it's funny. When, when I did Hire Gun, I, I know that uh, I was getting phone calls from Richard Kanata, who, who was the sax player on all those early Billy songs, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, Scenes from the Time, Rashmon, and all those other ones. And he said that Billy was very upset at this Hire Gun thing that was coming out. This is before it came out. He goes, Lib, why are you doing this? Why? And I said, if I can save one kid that wants to get in the music business and take it, taking it seriously now, if I could save them from what Doug himself, then I've done my job. Oh. Why I'm doing higher gun, yeah. you know, because they have to know this. Yes. Everybody yeah. thinks it's like, and especially like when I was growing up and I said I wanted to play the drums, you know, it's like, ah, oh, you're, you're going to be a bum. You know, you're going you're gonna to dig ditches for the rest of your life. You want to be a musician. It's crazy. You know, you had to save money to, to buy records, let alone a drum set. Today, if a kid says, oh, I, I feel like playing guitar, there's a, a Gibson SG under the, under the Christmas tree. You know, right. uh, the, the same thing Stevie Ray Vaughan used to play, you know. Uh, right. It's insane. It's insane. They think it's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. My son's going to be a rock star. Yeah, yeah, just wait. Why he comes home one day? Your parents <laughs> must have been so proud of you. Oh my gosh! Oh uh, uh, yeah, they were. My mom used to be in the audience, and she would have a sign that she would ha- hold up, and it would say "Mom" on it. But sometimes she'd get so excited, she'd have it upside down, and it said "Wow," <laughs> you know. Or she'd wear a T-shirt that on the front it said "My son is," and on the back "Billy Joel's drummer." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And, well, one of the things that cracked me, I, I mean, the, your family history, I was talking to Melissa about it before you called, and I said, is that true to Italians do their spaghetti first and then the meat and then the so- that salad last and then dessert? <laughs> and she was like, you know, I really got a kick out of that. And the fact that your dad would leave the house when you started practicing your drums. I'm like, oh, all the time. Your parents yeah. sounded oh. amazing, really. Yeah, my mother loved me playing the drums. I mean, she, she used to cut school to go see Gene Krupa and Frank Sinatra. So she loved music. My father, eh, bit of a square. Uh, <laughs> my mother used to say that. And, uh, you know, I'd be practicing the drums. He'd come home from work and he would just open the door and he'd hear me downstairs practicing. He'd go, I'm going to the movies. And he'd run the door and leave. <laughs> How many kids do you think were inspired by that performance by the Beatles? I feel like reading it from your perspective was so sweet. And I was a little too young. But when I read it, I thought, how many other of our favorite artists had that defining moment like you did? Thousands. 
I mean, you, you ask anyone of that generation, you know, uh, my age, and and they all said the same thing. I had a I did a, a podcast with Leland Sklar and with uh, Steve Lukather. We did a podcast together, and it was supposed to be about like what it's like being in the business and stuff like that. It was an hour of talking about Ringo Starr and the Beatles. <laughs> because everybody feels the same way about the Beatles. I wanted to do something with the drums. I mean, I I loved music. I loved the Four Seasons, and Dion was my main man in the beginning. But then here were these guys that they could have come from Mars. You know, (laughs) why do they talk like that? Why why do they dress like that? Where the hell is Liverpool? You know? Yes. Right. And don't you find, I, I know I've always found that Ringo is such an underrated drummer because he's not flashy. He does, you know, he's never had a big kit. He, he's always played the same way. But then you listen to those records and the groundbreaking stuff that the whole band was doing. But but Ringo is just this anchor that is just unbelievable. But yet I, I don't think people necessarily give him the credit that he deserves as a drummer. Let me tell you something. Ringo, you know, they say like, uh, oh, oh, Ringo, you know, he paved the road for us. You know, he he. He paved the road for other drummers to do what we're doing. No, Ringo didn't do that. Ringo went into the forest with a hatchet and chopped down every tree and then moved them all out of the way and then dug a hole so he could build build this road, then paved it. That's what we follow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, have you met him? Oh, yeah, I met him. In in the book, it says uh, I I met him and and I said, you know, Ringo, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And he said, well, at least you didn't blame me for it, you know. Uh, (laughs) That's right. I remember that quote. And you you got to pose with his drum kit. (laughs) I got to pose with his drum kit. And, you know, when I I played with Paul, uh, I did uh, two songs with him in the studio. Yes. And um, playing with Paul. You know when you meet your idol <laughs> and you don't know what to say? and you, I had to back out of the room because I had to compose myself and get myself together after I shook his hand. I, I didn't know what to do. I fell apart. <laughs> I, got, I, I became a little girl, you know? Like, ah! yeah. I could have been in the hard day's night at that moment, like one of those friends chasing them. Liberty, know? I have to tell you that he was my first love, right? And I was about four or five years old. And I yeah. got to interview him by myself when he played the Georgia Dome in 1990, wow. I think, or 91. And the first thing he did is he came in the room and there were two chairs facing each other. He sat down and he put his hand on my knee and I looked up. I was like, don't do that. <laughs> I, my head was about to pop off my shoulders. I was so freaked out we got through it just fine and he's so lovely and charming you know and of course you know how great he is and funny he is but we we were singing you know we did two songs in between the songs he was playing piano on the tracks and he was doing like jerry lee lewis and and chuck berry all that kind of stuff you know it was great and then we broke for lunch and the one thing you know we started to talk about children the one thing i wanted to hear him say because i love the way they say it in england is i wanted to hear him say the beatles you know, the way they said the Beatles, right? Beatles. But he, but he kept saying, when I was with the other band, I, he kept calling them the other band. You should have said, what other band? <laughs> yeah, which one? Which, which one? Which band are you referring to? <laughs> oh, you're, you're kidding me. I can barely talk. I mean, like, uh, uh. Oh, 
and then the fact that your favorite is, I saw her standing there, same here. I mean, that one, two, three, four, and then just how crazy rock and roll it is. What a great you, you song. Know, when I sat down and my cousin gave me that album because he didn't like their harmonies, and it was before <laughs> they had come to America, uh, you know, before anybody, any of my friends knew who about or had heard the Beatles. You know, we knew, we heard the word, the name, but we didn't know the music. And I put that on. You could hear the music go, and then you hear, oh, one, two, three, five. You know, and it's like, oh, my God, what is this? Isn't that beautiful? I mean, you really were very descriptive and great. I mean, I really felt like I was there in so many of the pieces that you wrote in the book. It's just terrific. And I think Melissa and I both got big kicks. Here's one of the stories you told me when I met you years and years ago. You said that you wrote the line. In my life. Either way, it's okay. You wake up with yourself. You wake up you with yourself. Up, so, yeah. And I'm like, literally, that's like the best line ever. <laughs> it's like the best line <laughs> in the <You're> song. Like, <laughs> I wrote it. I'm like, no. Uh, yeah, well, he was, he was standing there, you know, and uh, I don't know what the words are before it, but, uh, you know, he's standing there and he's talking the words and then, then he's stuck and, he, and I went, either way, it's okay. You wake up with yourself. And he went, <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> it's such a brilliant line. It's so perfect. That's one of my favorite stories in the whole book. Well, and that's one of the uh, things I, I love. It's great to hear how much influence you had on so many of these songs, like little things like that, you know, like a, a really you know, memorable lyric. And then in River of Dreams that Billy recited the line to you, but you were the one who kind of picked out. Well, it should be called River of Dreams, not, not yeah. you know, in the middle of the night. Or, yeah, or he says like that. That. So on the chart. On the chart, it says in the middle of the night, and that's the song. I, and I'm listening to the lyric of the song. I said, "What did you say there?" He says, "You travel along in the river of dreams." And he looked at me and says, "Do you think that should be the title of the song?" I said, "That should be the title of the album." Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and as it turns out, his last pop album. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. 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 Tell me about the irony of you playing on Karen Carpenter's solo album since she was a drummer. <laughs> and is she was she wonderful or what? Oh my gosh, well, that voice! Yeah, she was well, amazing. She could hang with with the boys. Let me tell you something. The New York Times, when they wrote in their magazine about the album, they said that Bill Ramone had hooked up Karen Carpenter with a, with a couple of Billy Joel ruffians. He us, <laughs> you know, and and we really gave it to her. I mean, I got yelled at once by her. She really got pissed at me. The Christmas had just come out, and she gave us all copies of the Christmas album. And I like two berets and and goatees and mustaches on on the two of them on the front cover. <laughs> she looked at, do you know how hard we worked on that album? Do you know how hard? What would you get to that album? <laughs> I just <laughs> like one. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But other than that, she could, she could hang. I mean, you know, she was great. And I, I loved her. I mean, I, I really did. She, what a great voice. She played huh. my drums. I'm not going to say she was okay for a girl because I do have four daughters and I learned that I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> well, and Melissa too, right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, she was good. She was good. It's just that Phil Ramone feels more comfortable when there's somebody who's been in the studio with him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, playing along. But yeah, I did love her and I was really sad when she passed. I mean, oh, you know, I used to hug her and you could feel those bones. It was just 
weird. Yeah, so know? sad. So, so sad. sad. I mean, what a talent. I mean, what a, what a waste of just so much talent. So great. She was so yeah. great. Do you mind talking a little bit about Ben? I was so happy to see that chapter yeah. because those guys are good friends of mine. And tell us a little bit about when you were taking some off time with Billy. And this was before you went out with Elton John, right? Yeah. That big people happened. Yeah. yeah big people. You know, it's funny. I just talked to Jeff Carlisi the other day. And you and, did. And, and he said something about the book. And I said, did you finish reading it? Oh, no, he, told, he was talking about my brother, Vinny. And I, he said, oh, I actually cried when I read my brother, Vinny. I said, did you get up to Big People yet? And he goes, oh, yeah, I read Big People. It was my favorite chapter because you said, this is the best band I was ever with because all we did was drink and eat. I know. <laughs> I know. You did it very well. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, but Ben, Ben was our rock star. I mean... Come on. Uh, we were all just like a bunch of flunkies around Ben. He was uh, our our rock star. I mean, the girls would swoon when we did uh, Drive. Oh, you know? it's a great uh, song. He would play everybody else's songs, just like as if he was in that band. But then when he came to the costumes and he stepped up to that mic, it was all over. It, just, it was just a beautiful guy. And, um, you know, I, I wrote the part about him and Julie in the back of the bus when I saw them dancing. And then when he said to me, I, I've, I've never danced with a woman before. I was like, go Ben off from the cars. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no kidding. You know, it's like, so you see that side of, of Ben that you think that, that he can get anybody he wants. He really doesn't want everybody. He just wants to be loved, you know? Yes. And you know what? I've got it. This is actually kind of amazing that I'm on the phone with Melissa. She and I had the opportunity to interview Rick Ocasek a couple of months before he passed. Yeah. And we talked about, I brought up Ben and meeting Ben <laughs> with you guys. And I was a little bit afraid to bring it up because I know that they had a bad breakup. And yeah. what Rick Ocasek said was so lovely, wasn't it, Melissa? It was yeah. like he was like he was a beautiful man. He said, mm -hmm. I remember when he was doing that band. It was just so loving that it was a great moment for us to hear him say that because yeah. you know if you love that band it was heartbreaking for all of us that and now well, you know it's fu it's funny when, when when bands break up after so many people love the music I, I have a friend that when i reconciled with billy and we got back together again as friends she was like we're so happy that the music that we grew up on and loved the most it, it was ugly for a little while that you guys were, weren't talking to each other but mm -hmm. now that you're talking to each other now it's, it's beautiful again <laughs> you know <laughs> Uh, you almost I mean, feel guilty I, yeah, listening John, to it. <laughs> yeah, John and, and, and Paul, I, I understand they were talking again before John was killed. Uh, and I just heard that uh, Mick Fleetwood is talking to Lindsey Buckingham now. You Yay. Know? So, Life's so too short. Knows? And the way you came about it, too, I thought that was really that whole September 11th chapter. And then what yeah. you kind of went through and you went in this downward spiral. But that picture of you and Billy in the diner. Is like yeah. it just made my heart so happy to see that it was it's beautiful. It was so great uh, when I wrote him and and the email that came back was, you know, the the whole the email was that he felt the same way that I did that he was disappointed at the way it ended too, and you know when you when you love somebody and you break up with them or or, or whatever. And you kind of badmouth them, but inside you're like hurting because you're like, I really don't mean that, but I'm just saying it because I'm putting up my defenses. Yes. That's the way I felt when I said things about Billy. If I would say something in an interview about Billy, and I just felt really bad saying it because he's my friend, mm -hmm. you know, together for 30 years, going places that no one else ever went with him in the music. 
you know, our families to have Thanksgivings together, and we think my daughter stays to hang out with, oh. with Alexa. You know, yep. That's so, that's family. You know, that's not even like a great friend. That's your family. And it was great right from the beginning. I walked up to him. He was just getting off his motorcycle when we met at that diner. And I walked up to him, and he looked at me. And he went, "What?" He said, "Wow, you're so thin." And I went, <laughs> "Yeah, and you're so." It's great to see you, Billy. It really is. <laughs> But see, that's the language of old friends, too. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you been reconnecting at all since since earlier this year? Have you had you know like, have you guys kept in touch? Well, yeah, because of the pandemic, I can't sure. go to him. But uh, yeah, and emails we go back and forth. And you know, I, I asked him at one point, well, you know, you should be writing now because there's so many people that would be able to relate to what you have to say about what's going on mm-hmm. today, like with the with the politics, with the pandemic, with with everything, you know, and he kind of said, it's, it's time for young people to speak. Hmm. You know, it's time for the young people to start. They're the future, you know, they're the ones that are going to change things. I guess in those years, you never saw him perform in concert. I mean, you never went to any of the shows of the garden or anything, <laughs> you know, during the estrangement period. <laughs> I was a, kind of a closet YouTube guy that would watch like the first 10 seconds of one of the shows and I'm out of here. I don't blame you. (laughs) It's crazy. I didn't want to hear the music when I when it first went down the the parting of the two of us. I didn't. I would turn the radio off. I don't want to hear it. I want to hear about it. You know, people would call me up. Hey, Lou, you're playing in Cincinnati. No, not. Oh, my gosh. Well, you got through it. Now it's a reset for the whole world. What have you been doing during this pandemic? Well, during this pandemic, I I put out a book. Yes. (laughs) When the pandemic started, we were just putting it all together. I had everything there. We were going through pictures. So I had a lot to do before, you know, when the pandemic was happening and I was staying at home. For a lot of people, that kind of it kind of worked out well, that if they did have a big project or something they were working on, you got this concentrated time that you probably wouldn't have had otherwise, or you got something done a lot faster than you might have otherwise. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I was talking to my daughter today. My daughter's an actress. She's on Chicago Med. On, oh, on, wow. Uh, NBC, yeah. So she really uh, was supportive about the book. You know, I'm supposed to do a, 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 the audio book, and I, I call her and I say, I can't do this. I can't read. You know, she goes, don't, Dad, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> but she, she's taken it to uh, a lot of people to see if they can make a, a, like a miniseries or something out of it, especially my family life, mm-hmm. the, the beginning of the book. And she's getting uh, a lot of names of writers, but she's getting the same story with them. She says they're very busy right now. Yeah. Because what else can they do except write, you know? Right. The part of your family, I think anybody that reads that part is going to think about stories that they've heard. Like, my family was Irish, so, you know, we've got some of those crazy stories. But one part that stuck out to me was when you were telling about, was it your grandmother or your mother that had twins or was pregnant with twins? My grandmother. And her mother pushed her down the stairs. Yeah. And I went, wait a second, yeah. you could write a whole chapter just with that. <laughs> and you kind of left me hanging there. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then my grandmother turned out to be, on my mother's side, my grandmother turned out to be, my father used to say she was the wicked witch of the West. Wow. He couldn't stand her. Wow. <laughs> 
Well, I just thought that was extraordinary. They're, your family just sounds amazing. Your own daughters that you have, four daughters, they're all doing well. I must say that your uncle, Liberty, that picture yeah. of him, he was a very hot man. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like Gilligan or something on an island somewhere, and I'm like, wow, what a handsome man. Uh, my father used to run with this, this crowd that was a tough crowd. You know, as you see in the book, he wanted to be a career criminal yes. before he became yes. a police. <laughs> You <laughs> wonder why they beat people up. <laughs> they wanted to be career criminals. That's right. They can't get insurance policies. And um, then, then I see but, the picture of him with you and the governor, and, and he looks like yeah. just such a sweet guy. Yeah, the, governor, the governor's talking about my mother, talking about growing up Italian and Italian families. And my father leans over and he says to the governor, I, I had to marry my wife in the garage. I couldn't back out. <laughs> the governor uh, of New York, Dad, what are you doing? But he understood. <laughs> we he all, he it happens it. to he, all of us. That's wonderful. How's your knee doing, Liberty, since you had that, that yeah. knee surgery? It's doing fine. I mean, I'm playing. It's better than it was before, but it's not the miracle I thought it was going to be. You mm. know? It, I still feel it, but... Uh, it works. Yeah, I'm sad sometimes. to see that, too, because a lot of people say that it's life-changing. Like, I had a hip replacement at 58, but it was life-changing for me because it hurt so badly. But um, And somebody I know just got their knee replaced, and it was great. So I was disappointed to read that for you it wasn't the same kind of healing process. That, that's oh, I know. You know, you know the, between the opiates and the, you know, being the drummer and thinking, career's done. It's over. What did I mm-hmm. do? Oh, gosh. I didn't see the healing at the end. I oh, just that's like so sad. That day, you know? Yeah, I have a life coach that talked me down off the ledge a bunch of times. You have yeah, good, good that people is a, around that is you. a big part of drumming, and, and if, if your knees aren't working properly, then you're, you're definitely going to feel something there. Because the knee, you know, it's all connected. I was getting cramps in my leg, and uh, mm. my ankles were swelling up, and it was mm-hmm. just horrible. Oh, it's a total wreck. Oh, I know. Now I understand. Now I understand what my great aunt used to be talking about. She said, "Oh, her aching bones." I'm like, now I get it. Yeah, right. You know, it's funny. I had to go for my eyes, at my eyes. You know, the cataracts. You can't see at night anymore. Oh yeah. So I got got that fixed. And as I'm doing it, I'm like going like. That's what that ugly eye was in my grandmother. You know, they, didn't, they never used to fix those things. It was like she couldn't see in front of her nose. But, you know, that eye was gray. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, holy cow. <laughs> it is. It's amazing. It's amazing. I just had my cataract done a couple of weeks ago. So that makes me laugh. Melissa's 10 years behind me. so <laughs> I've got time for my surgery. Yes. <laughs> but I know what you expect, apparently. We're just warning you what's coming, girl. I know, I know. Get in line, girl. Get in line, girl. you got a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Liberty, I, I did want to ask you one more thing about the song breakdowns in the book, because, again, I, you know, I, I just find them so fascinating. But how difficult was it for you to go back and remember all those details? And, and was, it a, was it a good experience for you, or did you find yourself, you know, thinking back to some things and going, ah, yeah, I remember that crap? <laughs> No, no. What happened was myself, Richie Kanata, Russell Javers, and the late Doug Stegmaier were inducted into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame. Now, they wanted us to play at the induction. They wanted us to play one song. Now, I said, I don't, I'm not going, because that's how bad it was for me. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? well, I'm yeah. not going to the induction. But Richie and Russell talked to, me, you know, talked to me how much it meant to them, and I went, okay, I'll do it. 
So I, I didn't even go to the sound check. I sent somebody else to go play the drums at the sound check. But <laughs> we were supposed to do one song. Well, after that one song, the crowd went so crazy that we ended up doing like four or five songs. So we talked about, like, let's get together. We're the real guys that did the songs. Why don't mm-hmm. we put it together? We'll get a skunk billy, I call them, and um, <laughs> we'll go and do gigs. So I had to relearn all the songs again. And as I was relearning the songs, I was falling in love with the music again. Mm-hmm. And as I was falling in love with the music, I'm remembering what it was like in the studio and putting those songs together. And so that part really came easy. It just came back like, oh, I remember doing this. Yeah, I remember why I played that. And I remember standing there and shaking those cases and busting everything in the box, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know going song by song, it, it made it easy. Mm-hmm. That part came easy. It sounded like it was a, a pretty uh, pleasant stroll down memory lane for you for most of them. It was. It was. Because, you know, Billy was always talking about when he did his talks and, and clinics about the only the good I young thing. And uh, down east to Alexa, that one, you know, coming up with the boat idea. Mm-hmm. Me and the guys from the Hooters, we all went on Billy's boat once and just all vomited over to the side, you know, just, <laughs> just to get the vibe of the song. Or, 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 <laughs> <yeah>. uh, Liberty <laughs> is such a great book. Life, Billy, and the Pursuit of Happiness. Actually, the title is Liberty. Life, Billy, <laughs> and the Pursuit of Happiness. And I know you can tell that we are big fans of yours and wish only the best for you. I loved seeing some of your lyrics and I'm looking forward to hearing some of that music from you. Yeah, I'm sure you're looking forward to getting back on the road at some point a little bit too. My band, the Slim Kings, we're actually doing a a virtual thing from Daryl's house on the 8th of November. But um, yeah, I can't wait to play again. It's Sitting in the basement is a drag. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I hear you. Did, did my wife own that old doll over there? That's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love you, my friend, and we look forward to helping you promote anything you've got coming up in the future. Please count on us. Well, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.